Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 819 with Clay Dover. Ops feedback, ops buy off on everything. Uh, if you can't execute it at the restaurant, then it doesn't matter. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date, even making adjustments on your menu. And I know it's probably one of the most important marketing tools out there, if not the most important marketing tool. That's why I'm so happy to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu seriously is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners. When you invest in Pop Menu, you get a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start. And let me tell you, they really do love that review feature. You get a mobile-friendly website, and I cannot stress to you enough how many people miss the importance of a solid website. And you also get marketing and integrations to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. What are you waiting for? As you can see, Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters the most, the people, and the food. Trust me, if you are a restaurant owner, you need to check out Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, my listeners get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging lifetime rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What is going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support and there's a numerous ways you can 
do that. You can use our sponsors. You can check out our affiliate links. Basically, any tool or service that's recommended, just go through the website to get a demo. There's a good chance you're using one of our affiliate links. You can share this podcast with everybody in the restaurant industry who's trying to be a better version of themselves. That should be a lot of us out there. So spread the word. And then lastly, come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Be a part of the conversation and be a part of the transformation. So today we're talking to Clay Dover. Clay Dover, man, what a great episode this was. Uh, Really spent his entire career in the restaurant industry. uh, And he came up through marketing, which isn't somebody I always get to talk to that that's not the profile of our the majority of our guests so I was really excited for today's conversation uh, he graduated from Brigham Young University from there he went to Chili's where he focused on marketing for almost three years he would go on from Chili's to Houlihan's restaurant where he spent another two years uh, he would spend some time three years almost actually four years with Apex restaurant group uh, from there he would go to Metro Media restaurant group where he was there for two years then he spent a big chunk of his career at Raising Canes, where he was president and chief marketing officer. Uh, and I am a huge fan of this brand. So when I saw that, I got really excited. And we, we really pulled back the layers on his time at Raising Canes. From there, he went to Pee Wee, where he was a restaurant marketing officer. And lastly, he landed with Velvet Taco, where he's been for uh, almost five years now, four and a half years as chief executive officer. And this was a really great episode. Really enjoyed my time with Clay Dover. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, CEO, president, and taco maker, Clay Dover, I should say, CEO, president, and taco maker at the Velvet Taco. That is correct. Clay Dover, my man, are you feeling unstoppable? Today? I am feeling unstoppable. Very yeah. excited. I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much for making time of for course. me during this busy event, and thank you to the TRA for hosting us here today. So I cannot wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? A success quote or mantra. Well, I find that uh, I love the saying that the harder I work, the smarter, uh, the more luckier I get. Harder I work, the more lucky I get. The more lucky I get. The luckier I get, uh, you know, it's direct correlation to the harder work that I work. I've always had the mantra that I will work hard. Uh, and it just seems that when you work harder, you just get more and more lucky. Is there a famous person behind that quote? I feel like there's well, a close rendition. I'm sure I butchered it. I'm sure I butchered it message. I love that, man. It's a great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Like, when did you know that this was your path? I'm s- uh, I would say when I was 15 and a half, I grew up in Southern California and I was a busboy at Bob's Big Boy. Okay. And uh, I, I was one of my first early jobs. And uh, I got tipped by the waitresses at the time, and this was many, many years ago. And I realized that the harder I hustled, the quicker I worked, the more tables I bust, I got better tips. And I was yeah. like, well, wait a minute. Like, the harder I work, the more money I get. So why don't I just bust my ass all day? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's always been that way. This is one of the few industries that I feel that... Uh, you know, you don't have to be the smartest person, uh, which I definitely not. Uh, but you know, if you work hard, you hustle, and uh, you can get ahead. Yeah, you got to give before you get. And I think I can <laughs> re- resonate with the not being the smartest person in the room, but definitely getting rewarded for being the hardest worker. For right? sure, for sure, uh, for absolutely. So, 
at this point, are you saying that like, this is what you want to do? Were you committed to? Oh man, no, it wasn't. Uh, so I went, I went to college, uh, put myself through college, waiting tables. I actually was a manager when I was in, uh, in college and managed a restaurant. My degree was in marketing and I graduated and thought, well, I'm going to go work in TV or some glamorous, you know, fancy, uh, 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 you know, profession. And uh, as I started looking at jobs, I realized that I really enjoyed being a restaurant manager and I was already making more money than uh, some of these entry level jobs at, uh, at local, uh, local sports channels and other things. And uh, I just uh, went to go work for Marie Calendars. It was my first manager job and I love it, man. It's like one of those jobs where every day is something new, something different. And, uh, that was probably when I realized that I was going to be in restaurants. So what, what was it about being a manager that really resonated with you that you love so much? So I love uh, at a restaurant level, you get to work with a team of folks and they are part of your family. Mm. Um, if you think about, and, and this is a more global restaurants in general, why I love restaurants, um, all of your special occasions, if you think about it, are generally themed around eating and getting together and I had um, I had a grandfather. Boy, we are already starting to get under the layers. Yeah, man. Um, my my grandfather would come into town. He lived in uh, Las Vegas, New Jersey, and was never really around. But he would come into town. And he would take all of us kids and family out to eat, and it was just this magical adventure where we could order anything that we wanted. Uh, we could get dessert. We could get you know sodas, and it was just like this just this magical experience and I really got these fond memories about going out to restaurants and then anytime there was a special get together whether you're getting together with friends whether there's um, uh, you know a celebration it seems that it was always themed around going out to eat let's go and meet somewhere at a restaurant and um, very few jobs very few of my friends at the time um, you know this is during the tech time and a lot of my friends are getting into tech and you know, marketing, it was PR and sales and television. And um, it, just, it just didn't seem as exciting to me. And restaurants always had this special um, closeness and togetherness between uh, the crew, the team. Uh, and as a manager, you know, you're kind of at the head of that family. And yeah. I loved being able to set the vibe and being able to um, feed off the energy of the restaurants and you look forward to going to work every day. Yeah, man, absolutely. There's a, we were just talking about this in the recent episode I recorded just before you that there's a sense of just camaraderie that you get when you're going through the shit with somebody else. And, totally. and like and when this, this industry can be hard. You got, when you're in the weeds or you're struggling, you're busting your ass and you're going through that with somebody there, there's something about that. Just that, like that just binds, yeah. you know, and it's weird and it's, it's a very tight knit. It's close. Cause you need these people. Totally. You start to realize you need these people and yeah. that you're nothing without them. And I think, I don't know like if that's like a human instinct to get closer to them because of that or what, what do you think is going on there? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the immediacy of restaurants and when you're in the weeds or when you're getting slammed or when there's a challenge, it's right then and there, you know, yeah. you know, there's no like sales quotas for the quarter or anything like it's like, it's right then and there. Like yeah, right now, crap, a busload of people just showed up yeah. and we just sent half the team home. Like we <laughs> got to get through this right now. Yeah, so man. there's this immediacy and it's physical. It's yeah. not just intellectual, but I mean, the rubber hits the road. I, look, I sit in an office. I don't make any money. There's no cash register in my office. It happens at the restaurant level, and it happens 
every hour, every shift. You know, it, it's just this immediacy. And you're right. You need those people to be able to lean on and to look back and go, boy, so-and-so was always there when we needed them. Yeah. Or, you know, so-and-so will always pick up shifts when we need them. And, yeah. it, and it literally is a family. And you, if, I mean, I, if you look at successful restaurant groups, the like at least with like the and I don't I'm not as familiar with with corporations and chains because I, I started focusing on independence. Sure. Uh, but as they scale those small independent restaurant groups, it's always people that have been in the trenches. They stick together yeah. throughout their careers, and it's they and it's just, it's just those. It's there's something about it, and it's yeah. and when you come across people that you resonate with, that you that that have the same values as you, that complement you. I think it's just a recipe for success. And then if if, they, if both parties want to go the same place, the same vision, like, but it's always ties back to some type of like connection way back in the day totally. that just is like unbreakable. Yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've been in the restaurant business for 30 plus years uh, in a variety of roles and yeah, you've got those people, those friends, you know, if you said, Hey, I'm looking for a chef, I could probably give you three names right off the top of my head. Like you should talk to these folks. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you see that, especially on the operation side, you know, you, you feel comfortable with the people that you've been through the wars with, you know what they're going to be like under stress. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you hang with those. You folks. think about successful restaurateurs, they're usually working for another successful restaurateur, right? Yeah. They learn things. They go to open their own place and they bring an army of people with them. Yep. Right? Um, great way to get this thing started. I'm loving the conversation. Uh, so, was there like a key mentor? Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I see that you went to um, Brigham Young's University, mm-hmm. graduated with marketing, and then mm-hmm. your first restaurant job after that was Chili's. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, I did a brief stint at Marie Callender's, okay. and that's when um, I realized I was going to be in the industry for a while. I jumped over to Chili's. Um, what made you know that you were going to be in the industry for a while? I mean, we talked about the, the camaraderie, the love for the management, the love for the people, but was there somebody or something that was telling you that like you're good at this, you should stick with this. Was there a mentor that was steering you? Not at that point. At that point, I was still kind of filling it out on my own, and I was making the decision. Um, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to get with a growing company, a company with a strong brand. Um, and at the time, Chili's was you know this was Baby Back Ribs Day. Yep. This was you know 1997. Were, yeah, I mean this was this was the heyday, right? Yep. So um, I joined over there. And yeah, I mean, look, the, Doug Brooks was the COO at the time and ultimately went on to be the CEO. He was a mentor of mine. This is a guy who's, um, who was the CEO of Brinker International. I would run into him years later or at some random event, and the guy knew my name. Like, I just always loved that. I'm so jealous of people that can do that. He, he, he'd be like, Clay. <laughs> I'm just like, holy cow, how does this dude that is super well known, totally plugged in the industry. I'm a nobody, right? And but he knew me. He would he would put his arm around me. How are things going? Even when I didn't work at Chili's, you yeah. know. And and years ago, I I brought him in to speak to my team a few years back, just as a mentor. Like, man, give these guys some words of advice to my managers uh, at Velvet Taco. So that was probably the first. Um, you know, Doug, uh, Doug was great. Dave Schmeely was another operator that went through the trenches. Um, there's a whole list of operators that came from that that tree that um, you know he just went through the went through the battles with. Um, I could tell you my management team um, when I first started. It was you know the GM was Mike Dunn, Tony Meyer was one of our managers. I mean, I can name the names of these folks because they were so impressionable on me, and I try to communicate that to the Velvet Taco team. Um, 
you that, mean you you are painting the picture? Did I cut you short? Do you want? Go to, ahead. No, no, no. You, go you're ahead. painting the picture of these people, uh, the the values they had, remembering names, being affectionate, caring, uh, but really distilled the things that they embodied in you and what you carry to this day, and the, the biggest lessons they gave you to set you up for success. Yeah. So, I, I, leadership is probably one. Um, you know. So, D- Dave Schmeely was the president of Chili's at the time. Uh, he has passed uh, recently, but. Um, you know, he, he taught me how to encourage and empower others. He would come, you know, here's the president of Chili's coming to your restaurants and, you know, everyone got, you know, we, we called them cleaning parties the night before, um, it, you know, and we got all geared up because here, here, here comes, you know, the boss coming through. And uh, he was just so down to earth and so understanding. Um, he made you feel like a friend, not an employee. Mm. Um, and, and he had a, yeah, I mean, I'm friends with him and his family for years and years after I stopped working there. Um, but I think that that's one of the things that I've always been excited about the restaurants is that you get to know people on a different level, on a personal level. It's so intimate. Yeah, it is. I mean, yep. you're you're sharing more hours working shoulder to shoulder with someone. You're going through the, the wars, the grinds. Um, you know, your personal life bleeds over into, into, you know, your work life as well. And just, Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I think it's a good thing. Um, I, I've, I've learned that as I've, um, you know, gone on to larger uh, organizations, sometimes you can't always do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it matters when so-and-so's mom's sick and you, 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 you call that out or you send a thank you note or things like that. I think it's a good thing, um, especially at the restaurant level. I definitely so do. Why, why can't you do that at larger organizations? Uh, I, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm struggling with currently, so Velvet Taco, I joined, and not to jump out of chronological, I joined at four restaurants. So this is my baby. Yeah. Uh, this brand, we're now 25 restaurants, going to open number 26 here shortly. That's crazy, man. I took it over from uh, from the founders uh, who, who you know sold the company to a private equity group. It has been the passion right now of my career, but it's but it's mine. Um and I hired every single person there, basically. There's a couple of managers that have been there. There's like three people who have been there longer than me, uh, maybe a few more. Other than that, I've been part of developing this brand. And, for example, I, I know every general manager. I have their phone in my phone. I send them texts of encouragement. And it's become harder and harder as we scale to be able to have that kind of connection. I used to have it with all the managers. You know, I, you walk in a restaurant, I could tell you every single manager yeah. uh, by name and where they were before. And as you as you scale, it's harder to have that connection. This is more people. I mean, we can mm-hmm. only. And this keeps up coming. This is a, um, something I want to look into and learn more about and study and dissect and to see how it really affects relationships. But we can only handle 150 relationships as a human being. Mm-hmm. The average person can only handle 150 Makes relationships. Sense. So if you scale and you get bigger, you're you're forcing more relationships into your life. But in order to manage more relationships, you have to dilute the quality of the relationships you have. Yeah. Uh, I think that plays into it. And the other thing that plays into it as far as the original question, which is how do you like, why can't you do what, what was the question? Why, why can't you why do can't that? You have that or same, yeah. No, yeah, why but, can't you have that same sort of connection? I, I, you can, you have to there be, are ways to do you that. just have to be smart about it. Yeah. You got to think through it. Um, yeah. Instead of showing up and wishing them happy anniversary, you got to send them a text. Yeah. Um, 
you know, if I have a running list of management teams that I that I keep on my phone. So like, we've got two restaurants here in San Antonio. I'll pop in. Uh, in the next day or so and say hi yeah. I'll make sure I know who's there I'll make sure that I know the manager's name you know and, and you just you just have to you just have to be a little more structured and organized yeah. about it I think the, the way to, to do it, I think what is to this has come up before in the show is recreating yourself and others and having those quote unquote culture carriers that sure. have everything you have and you have and then they and they take on some of that that weight of yeah. developing those relationships. So it's not just you anymore. That you have you surrounded yourself with people that you recreated yourself in that have all these same values and vision as you and they, they carry that culture and echo you. Uh, I think is the only way to do it. Yeah, we've got a, a general manager, Emma, who's awesome and she was actually a manager that trained me when I first joined. So when I joined, I wanted to go through the entire restaurant management training program, which was about two months, about killed me. Um but she's our culture, you know, keeper of the flame, call it. And, um, you know, anytime that there's, you know, a, a nudge or something that needs to make sure something happens culturally, she's always on yeah. top of it 100%. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Schultz from Voodoo Donut, CEO of Voodoo know Donut. Him. But he and I did a workshop on carrying culture and what that looks like and what they're doing. And, and uh, it's a really it's a really great episode. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm making it out. It's episode 690. Um, and he, actually, no, that was his first time on this. He's been on the show three times. So oh, that, wow. 690, 745 was the other time. Uh, that was a workshop on knowing when it's time to scale with Chris Schultz. That was a really gotcha. great episode. Um, but moving on to your story. Um, so we're talking about Dave. Um, he encouraged. Leadership. He taught you how to encourage others. And yeah. he said because he was down to earth. Uh, he wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just an employee boss relationship, but you were friends. What else did he do to teach you how to encourage others? Really pull me back one more layer. Yeah. So when, when we would go into restaurants, um, he would ask about your family. He would ask about your wife. He would ask about, you know, and he would remember these things, um, you know, like, Oh, how's your mom? I know she was sick. And I'm going like, I told you that like four months ago. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a deeper level of a connection there that, um, you know, people want to be around those who care. Yeah. That's the secret right there. How do you encourage others to care about you and your business to care about them? They're yeah. going to reciprocate. It's that simple care for it, others. You got to give before you get totally. And, and it's a give and go relationship where, you know, because you know that he cared and he went that extra mile, you would want to go that extra mile. Yeah. And that's, that's something that hopefully I've, I've taken and, and tried to incorporate in, in ours. You're like a soccer game. There's going some on. stuff it's going the down. Soccer game. There's a big oh, soccer really? game. They're all watching on TV over there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so it was also at uh, Chili's that you started to lean into your marketing. This is what you went to school for. Yeah. So now you started taking yeah. your education and, and putting it t- towards your passion. Yeah. So um, we were uh, obviously in competition with other restaurants. We were killing everybody on top line sales. Uh, Dave Schmeely brought in the COO, a gentleman by the name of Chuck Dooley, another mentor of mine. And, uh, you know, they did a whole like, well, hey, how come you guys are so up in uh, sales? And on our management team, I was in charge of the front of the house and the server staff and driving sales, really. I pulled out a little binder and I had, you know, here's all these businesses that I connected with and here's how we're keeping track of it. And I do these follow-ups and here's what I'm doing. And, you know, they were, uh, Chuck and Dave were very impressed and they said, you know, hey, that's cool. You can do that. Would you want to come to the corporate office? You know, we've got an office in California. Could you do this for like 30 or 40 restaurants? And, you know, being young and naive at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, of course I could. Um, 
And so that's when I actually jump from the corporate, or sorry, from the restaurant side and running actual restaurants to the corporate side. This is still at Chili's, correct? This is still at Chili's, yep. yeah. And so um, I was the marketing coordinator was my first, uh, you know, corporate title. And I went from running, uh, you know, restaurants and scheduling and making fajitas <laughs> to, <laughs> to actually uh, marketing them and working with, uh, you know, the bigger head honchos at Brinker and, and advertising campaigns. I sat in on the, the early baby back ribs jingle, uh, you know, behind the glass, uh, glass mirror. And, uh, it was, it was great. Um, How great was it to, 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 to see Austin Powers? And to see that. <laughs> it was awesome. I, I will say, uh, it was a great, it was a great learning place for me. Um, and, uh, you know, a great training ground, a great place to just get grounded, um, I'll tell you a, a great, since we're sharing personal stories, the best one was, so I jump over to the corporate side and of course all my peers are all still in the restaurants, right? And these are guys that, you know, we transferred and work hard together. My first campaign, and I don't think this is going to knock anybody, plus it was 20 plus years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, uh, they're like, Hey, I got this great idea and Coca-Cola wants to do a Coke float. So like a root beer float. And we got these these bell soda glasses and I'm cooking up this promotion for the restaurants to do a Coke float. And, you know, I think I'm Mr. Slick and I'm doing table tens. And we got this whole campaign out there and we roll it out and then we're sending free Coke floats to, you know, the bell soda glasses to all the restaurants, et cetera. So, you know, this is my first real marketing campaign that's got my name on it. So I go to the restaurants, I go and visit the restaurants, the guys that I know, and boy, they let me have it. They go, man, you know how hard it is to wash these glasses? I got a case of these glasses. They're not selling. You know, and then, and then guess what? Oh, then the guests would take the glass home, but it's all sticky and ice creamy. And so they just, they just loaded me up, man. And so I learned real early to get ops feedback, ops buy off on everything. Uh, if you can't execute it at the restaurant, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the other thing, I think the kind of compound off that, if you're not willing to do it, you can't be expecting yep. anybody else to be yeah. willing to do it. And you have yeah. to do it to realize how much it sucks before you realize. It's yeah. Like that was, that was a, that was a terrible marketing <laughs> idea. But you don't know until end. you know, but just knowing <laughs> to keep the, the dialogue open is a lesson, right? Yeah. Like get that ops feedback. Like, yeah. is this, is the, is this going to, are, are the benefits of us rolling this out going to outweigh the, yeah. the, um, you know, the downside of rolling. Yeah. What's the opposite of benefits? Yeah. No, I mean, threats. it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I look back at those, those years of working in restaurants, not just when I was young and busting tables or waiting tables and hustling. Um, but from a management standpoint and really cutting my teeth on that, I actually, um, it's funny. So now I have kids in college. I ended up doing an internship. Uh, I did an internship with the, uh, the end with a TV station at NBC affiliate and I hated it. I ended up going back to Marie Callender's and doing an internship. I, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see them, but I'm doing air quotes an internship as a restaurant manager just because I felt like it was more applicable and actually, I was just running restaurants. So was this between 2002 and 2005? The, yeah. The three years? Like yeah, yeah. Between uh, yeah. Hulans and yes. uh, Apex? Yes, correct. Okay. Um, before we move on to that, you mentioned Chuck being your mentor. What were some, any key lessons specifically from Chuck? That you- uh, Chuck Dooley was awesome. So Chuck Dooley was the CEO. Um, so Sidron, which you're going to see on there if you're just reading off my resume, <laughs> it was the franchisee for Chili's and Burger King and based out of California. Um, Chuck Dooley was awesome. This guy um, taught me how to read a P&L. Um, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a 
young 20 something uh marketing guy that's just you know in the corporate office just soaking it all up uh he taught me how to read a P&L. Uh, he taught me about food costs labor costs uh, I would volunteer to go in on the weekends and write their PowerPoint decks for all the senior executives because, you know, PowerPoint at that time was kind of new. Yeah. Um, but I would write them PowerPoint decks, and I learned so much uh, from him and uh, have continued. I mean, look, the guy's retired now, but um, kept in contact. Um, when I when I left, uh, you know, Sidron to go to Houlihan's, you know, that was hard leaving behind a couple of those mentors that have helped me get to, yeah, I still give him credit today. Um, I can remember him, uh, you know, sitting down and going through a P&L and looking at variable costs and, and, you know, explaining to me what some of these things were because it was just a big old spreadsheet full of numbers. Why, why was he showing them this marketing? Cause I asked, stud? okay. I asked, why did you want to know? I wanted to know. So one of my mantras in life, I don't, I don't know if it's a mantra, I volunteer for everything. Like I'm a podcast virgin. Yeah. Uh, when you told you. me it was going to be 90 minutes conversation, uh, I was like, like "Damn!" I tell you, man, um, it's going to go by fast. That's all right. That's We're cool. already a half hour that's into cool. this. That's thing. cool, man. <laughs> but um, look, I volunteer for everything. Yeah. Uh, early on in my career, I just would volunteer for whatever I possibly could and figure it out. Yeah. Um, you know, hard work's like 90 percent of it, mm-hmm. and you know maybe not so much now in my career, but there were times when I'd be in these meetings and I'd just be nodding my head, making notes, look up what variable cost means, (laughs) Um, you know, lease improvements equal blank, you know? And so um, I just asked and anytime there was a meeting, anytime there was a project, I would volunteer. I would get involved in real estate, construction stuff, legal things, anything I possibly yeah. could. This is how you create opportunity for yourself. Absolutely. This is, you just take it on and people get, like, people will notice. They will pick up that, hey, we have, you know, like, give it to Clay. Yeah. Like, he, he'll take it. Yeah. And, like, you just create opportunity for yourself. Yeah. Plus, you're just constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly being 1% better than you were the yeah. day before. I love that, man. Uh, so, 2000 to 2002, you're at Houlihan's. Uh, one note that I saw uh, was that you helped develop a turnkey program for franchises. <laughs> and I think, why is that so important? Like the, 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 the create, why are you laughing? What's going nah, on? I'm just laughing because it's resume <laughs> fodder. Um, no, I mean, look, so, so here's, how, here's how that transition happened. Um, and as, as great as Sidron and Chili's and, and their relationship with Brinker was, yeah. um, I was always going to look for another opportunity. Um, I was going to look for the next best thing that will help continue to drive me. Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was a marketing manager or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but, um, you know, I was always open and looking at different opportunities. And uh, Hands Restaurants came calling. And uh, they were looking for someone that could lead their marketing uh, they're based out of Kansas. I mean, look, I, I would have told you I would never live in Kansas. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about Kansas. Oklahoma City and uh, I was down, uh, where's the other one? Tucson? No, not Tucson. What's oh, Tulsa? Tulsa. Tulsa's they're cool awesome. cities, man. Dude, like Tulsa's they're coming awesome. up. They're cool cities. I, I was just there. Yeah, no. I mean, the Midwest has got maybe not tons in two thousand. <laughs> well, you know, so I grew up in California. Um, you know, I, I, I. I just I took this interview. I started talking to them. They uh, they flew me out to Kansas City. I started talking to them. Um, it was a seventy unit chain. They had several different um, brands. They had some franchise. They had some company. It was like a mixture of both. It was a completely new opportunity. And and 
I saw it as an opportunity to lead a marketing department. So, you know, I'm doing the work on Chili's and, you know, it's great, but yeah, and that thousand, two thousand restaurants, you know, I mean, I'm just a little peon. So, um, you know, when this opportunity came up to go to Hula Hands, uh, I took it. It was a great move for our family. I moved from the Bay Area in California. I had one child. You know, we were living in a tiny little itty bitty apartment. Um, you know, we moved to Kansas, uh, Kansas City, um, Olathe. It was a great move financially, great move professionally, great move for the family. Uh, Midwest people are super yeah. nice. Well, I will say this, man. As far as I, th- I think we should encourage people who come to work for us to go and get different experience, different perspective. And I'm sure your mentors understand that. Like, it's not about them. It's about you. And the thing is, when you take on that mentality of knowing that your job isn't to, your job is to push people out of your business in the sense that you want to give them all the knowledge, all the tools, all the resources they need that they don't need you anymore, that they can go on and do it for somebody else. And here's the thing. When you take that approach nine times out of 10, or at least it seems like that, like they come back, you know, and like if if you, you can't expect people to stay with you forever, but if you if you understand that and, and and empower them and transform them, they almost always come back some way somehow, yeah. or they send people to you or whatever. It always it always works out. I I almost talked my mentor Dave Schmeli into being a COO for See? me. It comes um, back around. It always he, does. He, he, it almost happened. He, yeah. he bailed at the last example. at the last minute on me, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that. Um, you know, you know it's the right decision when you sit down with that mentor and you lay it out and say, this is what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go be the director of marketing at Hula Hands. Here's the opportunity. Here's how much I'm going to get paid. Here's, here's really what I'm going to be doing. And they say, that's a great deal. Good luck. Yeah. And you're still friends. Uh, Chuck Dooley, like I said, he's retired and living in Pittsburgh right now. But like he came in and visited me at a Velvet Taco. We took pictures. Yeah. And like like he's he's like a he's like a father figure to it's, me. It's not what's best for you. It's what's best for everybody else. When you take that mentality, it yeah. almost always comes out in your favor. Yeah. Uh, and so let's zoom to thirty thousand feet real quick okay. because we're the the year's two thousand two <laughs> at this point in your journey, your timeline. And we're at thirty minutes of recording. Uh, 2005 to 2007, VP of marketing for Apex. 2007, <laughs> 2008, Metro Media Restaurant Group. 2008 to 2015, I feel like there's a lot of learning and probably a, a lot, lot of evolution. Yeah, Raising Cane's great organization, but I don't want to just completely skip over those two experiences. No, so so here, here's how that transitioned out. So um, uh, another another mentor, a uh, gentleman by the name of Mark Bromberg, based out of Dallas. He runs and owns. Apex Restaurant Group, which is a consulting company. Uh, one of the VPs at uh, Hands went to go work for him and called me up. He said, hey, man, you know, we're doing all this work with these different brands. Um, it's a small outfit, but you know, we're based out of Dallas. You should come and check it out. So I joined as the VP of marketing. Again, ch- trying things that I've never tried before. Uh, Mark Bromberg um, came up with Eastside Mario's. He's an old very old school uh, restaurant tour. He's been around forever, the PepsiCo days, um, and uh, he's he's still working. Uh, he always told me he was going to retire. I knew that was a lie. Um, and yeah, I moved to Dallas with the family. Uh, again, looking at it as a great opportunity to try things and do things that I've never done before. Mark allowed me to sit in on meetings and pitches with clients that I probably had no business being in, um, but I learned about understanding clients' needs, understanding about 
um, feeling out what a potential client would would is looking for, putting together sales pitches and decks, uh, going in and working with brands on a variety of, of uh, initiatives. And it didn't just limit me to marketing. Uh, whether it was um, site location or operations, you know, I was able to weigh in and sit in and 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 give real input uh, on some of these things that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do at I don't know how old was I, probably thirty or so, uh, to be able to sit in on these meetings. We went and pitched like the executive team at Wendy's on one of their little side brands on a, on a, on us managing them, and you know, I'm going to these things that. Again, I'm going, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this at, yeah. this, at this point in my career. And so once again, uh, volunteering saying, yeah, sure, I can figure that out. I can reposition the brand. But, you know, like I didn't necessarily know exactly how I was about to do that. But, um, you know, getting involved into a level of things. Uh, Mark always opened up the, the financial side of things. Yeah. He was very transparent on, hey, you know, here's how we make money. Uh, this is a business at the end of the day. As much as you like yeah. doing these things, like we got to drive sales. Why don't you think enough? Why don't why don't people open up the books more often? What's going on? You know, I think there's a there's a fear of either a you know showing that you're profitable. I mean, look, we're we're in a business. It's a profitable business. Yeah. You know, I mean, I expect that most businesses are making money, but sometimes it's either you know, uh, embarrassment that you're not making more. Uh, I know there are periods of times when he put his own money in. And I know that because I saw the books. Yeah. Um, I actually respected him more because of that. I'm like, dang, dude, like you really believe in this company and what we're doing enough that you're writing checks out of your personal bank but account. What's the power of shedding that fear and being willing to open up and share your numbers and what, what happens? When you make them part of the equation. And why is that important? So I've done this with our general managers where I'll show them a balance sheet. I'll show them how much money it costs to build a restaurant, how much we pay, whether it's in debt, whether, you know, how much money we make at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And, and it allows them to see something beyond just their vision of a single restaurant. Um, you know, for a, for a period of time when I was a marketing executive, um, I had a marketing budget and I knew exactly what was going on in that budget, but it was only a small percentage of the overall business. And I wasn't as concerned about the overall business. My job was to drive sales. So if I had more sales coming in, my job was done. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if, if you're resting, you know, if the EBITDA line is negative, then <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter, right? Like, yep. like, so I do think that when you share that sort of uh, insight with people, it makes them part of the journey. Yeah, uh, makes them buy into it. And when the times get rough, you know, when you got to go and say, "Hey, man, we got to tighten down," they go, "Yeah, yeah, I saw that last quarter." Or, "Okay, I'm with you. I understand what that means." It it's helps not, them understand the why. So totally. now it's no longer do this because I said so. Do this because you understand yeah. that if you do this, this is what the outcome. This is what, it's going to affect us all. I'll be able to pay you more, and people won't do stupid stuff because they'll know that there's a, a result. That there's a, a totally there's no, actions right. or consequences. You're right. The other thing too, you're also opening yourself up to that potential energy. Why try to figure this out on your own? Maybe you have a really smart person on your team that you never knew they were strong in that vertical because you didn't open up the, you didn't tap into that. Yeah. And they might help have solutions or whatever, you know? I would not be in the position that I'm in without that kind of insight, that kind of uh, help along the way, whether it was a Chuck Dooley or a a Mark Bromberg, you know, I mean, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's awesome. Uh, and uh, I learned a ton during that time frame. 
which which went into Metro Media deal. So we were consulting with Metro Media, which was Bennigan's, Steak and Ale, Ponderosa, uh, Bennigan's Tavern Company franchise. This was a one point seven billion dollar company. We were doing management. We had a management agreement through Apex to work with them, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I got my foot in the door, not just working with small independent, you know, mom and pops, but, you know, large, large company organizations like this. And uh, it was it was a great experience and one that uh, you just don't get. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I mean, obviously, you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to marketing. Uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm tempted to pull back layers on marketing at this point in your career. How much of marketing at this point, 2005, 2007, that that period is relative today in today's age. <laughs> That's actually a really good question. Thank you. Um, I think a lot of it is still relevant. I think the tactics have changed. Um, I, I've got a great marketing leader right now, Cassie Cooper at Velvet Taco, and she's up on all of the new technology, etc. cetera. Um, you know, I think that what we're seeing today is a blend of technology and marketing. Whereas back then, the, the technology piece wasn't there. It was more just about understanding people and behaviors and leaning into that. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, you still need to, to market a brand. You still have to position a brand. You still have to have a, a customer proposition. I mean, all those things are still true that were true then. You got to, you know, obviously sell great restaurant, you know, great food, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the tactics in which you go out and attract guests, the, the, the tangible things have changed where... Yeah, I mean, I remember doing FSIs, freestanding inserts in newspapers. Like, yeah. that's crazy now. Yeah, the right? tactics have changed, but the <laughs> direct mission, mail. The mission is still the same: drive traffic, drive traffic, and yeah. just the channels and how they how you do it now um, through digital and social channels. Now it's just a different tactic. But I mean, you know, marketing is still marketing. Um, you know, brand, branding and and. You know, making sure that your brand stands out in the crowd. So, take us through an example of when you were working with a client and you they came to you and said, "Hey, we need help with their brand. Help us stand out." What's that process look like? If somebody's listening to this and they want to recreate, I mean, obviously they can't do everything that you sure. do for them. But like, what's the overarching big takeaways? Yeah, so a couple of insights I'd give you that I always had. Um, I would always interview founders. Um, I would interview whether it was a founder or someone that had proven success at that I time. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I, I've interviewed um, Norman Brinker. Okay. One of the highlights of my career in 2005. I yeah. still remember it. Uh, you know, talking about the original development of Steak and Ale and, and Brinker International and some of these brands. Like, it was amazing. Um, you know, um, today I gather feedback from the founders of Velvet Taco. What was the purpose of interviewing these founders? What are you trying to do? So I think when, when you have a founder involvement or someone that's, um, you know, part of the, the magic that, that, that was originally there, uh, there's insights there that sometimes, you know, look, I don't, I don't have that skill. I, I honestly do not have that skill. What I have, skill? What am I missing? Uh, creating a concept out of nothing. Yeah. Like to just Vision. go, hey, here's this, here's this idea for a concept and I'm going to make it come to fruition. I mean, there's, a, there's some people out there that I think are phenomenal is at it, that. Is it the logistics in the... So like, for example, um, uh, Simon Sinek calls it being a how guy versus a why guy. And the, the other person that I can't think of his name um, talks about being in the dirt versus being in the sky. Yeah. So was your challenge the, you said, so you couldn't see the vision. You couldn't create the idea for a concept. So you, you lacked, does it sound like you lacked the vision, but you're good in the, you're good in the, 
like so vision would be clouds yeah. the opposite of that would be in the dirt so you're good at building the systems the operations the tactical approach to executing someone else's vision yeah i think that i think that at this point uh of my career is more about understanding the connection between the clouds and the dirt um you know norman brinker was a visionary and an icon um you know, uh, I, I think of a specific uh, campaign. So you asked for a real example. Uh, there is a brand out of New Orleans called Semolina. This is a small little regional chain. They did international pasta. Um, I think that they were ahead of their time. Uh, it was started by three chefs called the Taste Buds. Um, and it was like, hey, we need to drive sales. You know, it's the first time I've ever heard the of, taste three, of three chefs coming together and creating a group. Oh, they're name. great. Like, I mean, like I yeah, they're great. No, Greg Reggio, Hans. I, I mean, they were they were awesome. I mean, this was, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I still remember working with them. It was amazing. But the challenge was drive sales. You know, this is this brand. You know, we've we maybe you know got a little diluted, and we've we've grown a little much. So I sat down with them, and we talked about the original ideation behind it, and it was international pasta. It was the world through pasta. And so we went back to the original menu and I created a campaign around the original menu items and we came up with, you know, whatever year it was, anniversary celebration, and we did a whole retro menu. Well, the beauty of it was they had this, um, it's called semolina uh, mac and cheese cake. It basically was noodles and cheese. So it, the thing didn't cost a whole lot. And at the time, I think we were selling it for like seven or eight bucks, but the original menu had it on for, you know, five twenty-five or something. Maybe it was even, I think it might've been less than that, but we still were making at $5, you know, the food cost thing was like a dollar. It was noodles and cheese. But we put this entire campaign around a retro and remembering and nostalgia and highlighted it, the original menu items at the original prices, and it just turned the business around. I mean, Why it just started cranking. Worked? What, was, what, what was the trick? What, I think what? it was just a, a nostalgia play where guests had, had um, you know, lacked in frequency. It reminded them, I think the price point, you know, combination of price point and wow, you know, great photography. It was this mac and cheese cake that was sliced like a cake and it had cheese oozing over the top. Ooh. And we just did these big billboards around it and, you know, just promoted it, you know, four ninety nine original menu. And it just recalled people's, um, you know, feelings in, in the New Orleans area around, oh, I remember that. That place yeah. is awesome. Yeah. So Tapping into emotion yeah. and inciting action from emotion. Going back once again, I mean, uh, you, your emotions and, and your time spent at a restaurant generally have some sort of connection, whether it's a specific place, um, you know, a specific reason, you know, family get togethers are always at fill in the blank restaurant. Um, you know, even in times of tragedy, it's like, Hey, and let's, let's commiserate. Let's meet at a bar. Let's meet at a restaurant. Let's get together. Um, and so there's that emotional connection with restaurants that is magical. I think this is one of the biggest reasons why, one of the biggest reasons why if you are really playing the long game, you your your number one customer is the child. If you can if you can yeah, if point. you can connect with a child and you can make an impression on a child, they will be a lifetime customer. It's great insight. Yeah, it's true. It's I mean, great insight. Yeah, thank you. Well, we're here to learn from, learn from you. <laughs> but, ah, uh, it's a good just to compound off that that idea of just nostalgia. Yeah, and if you can connect at an early age, like those long term relationships are so powerful uh, because of the nostalgia. Um, so. 
what was going on with Metro Media Restaurant Group? What was that? Was that another consulting or is that a restaurant? Yeah, so so that was a consulting group that actually ended up to me taking uh, a real position as the vice president of marketing with Bennigan. So the consulting agreement separated, and once again, you know, I had to make a decision uh, of. You know, this one was actually really hard of leaving a a mentor and a father figure um, and saying, hey, you know, I'm never going to get the chance to be a a head of marketing for 300 units that has this international presence with Bennigan's. And, you know, at the time, Bennigan's was still doing fairly well. And, you know, it was like a. I had to make a choice on a career side and the, and the ownership group that, that owned that entity came to me and said, Hey, we really, you know, enjoyed your work. Would you consider staying on instead of leaving, you know, leaving the consultant side? What was the work that you were doing that they enjoyed? So, um, look, I think as not just the marketing guy, but as leaders in the restaurant industry, whether you're a CEO, president, a GM, Part of our job is being a cheerleader. Uh, our job is to motivate and inspire others, mm-hmm. and that's something that I've always tried to do. And at the time uh, of this, was you know leading leading a brand, leading a team, and being uh, a positive force uh, within within the company. And just you know, look, we, we're we're in a we're in a wonderful opportunity to be in a in an industry where people come to us because they want to spend money. They want to have those experiences. Um, very few places you can say that. You know, you don't get window shoppers coming into restaurants. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have. Um, it's just, it's just so magical and it's so alive. Um, and I'm blessed to be part of it, and I'm blessed to be in a position to impact others. And you know, hopefully, you know, others that. I've worked with or met with, you know, when I'm old and gray, I'm not there yet, but you know, when I'm old and gray, they say, man, I remember I worked with this guy clayed over and, you know, I learned A, B and C. I mean, that, that's like the pinnacle right there in my 20 mind. 20 years, this podcast is still going to be going. I'm going to be interviewing <laughs> one of your, uh, your mentees and they're going to be like, Clay Dover talks so much. We're going to be talking about you and I can't wait for that day, man. That would be um, cool. <laughs> so let's talk about Raising Canes because you up to, in, oh, in yeah. your timeline, uh, 2008 to 2005. So you're here for seven years. That's the longest chunk yeah. up to this point where you've been in one spot. I think in your career totally. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I could ask, you know Paul Tuneman? Yeah. Do you know uh, Paul Tenerman. Who's the other guy I know from Raising Canes? Oh, he just opened Dilla's. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Dilla's oh, up yeah, in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. another Raising Canes guy. Oh, yeah. You know yeah, he was a manager for yes, us. Yes, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, man, yeah. Why is his name? Kyle. Ex- Kyle, thank you very Big much. tall guy. Yeah, dude. I love those. So yeah, uh, yeah. I had both Paul Turner. I love Paul, too. Paul's such a funny dude. <laughs> guy. Uh, anyway. A Paul more. lived on a boat when he worked with Raising Canes. He lives on a boat again. Yeah. I think he, they, they do a lot of- me up, He's a cool dude. Uh, he's awesome. I love, he's a great dude. Um, so anyway, I, I digress. Uh What's going on? I mean, Raising Cane's, this, uh, 2008, this is early in their life. Sure. So what was 63 restaurants. 63 restaurants. 63 restaurants. So this was a key pivotal role uh, of my career and took me to a whole nother level. Okay. So at Metro Media, uh, I ultimately was the CEO, and it was uh, a, a very challenging uh, career time for me as um, we had private equity group that owned us or the, the ownership group, Metro Media, that owned it. And they cared about profit. And that's it. No matter what. Um, they they had put a lower value on all the intangibles and people development, etc. And uh, I wanted to go somewhere 
completely different. And uh, that was Raising Cane's. Yeah, I think this is kind of like the evolution. I think there was a period in restaurant history where we, we learned more and more about success being all about systems, processes, procedures, managing the bottom line. And the focus became on the better you manage those things, the better you do systems and processes, the more successful you're going to be. And then culture just got left in the dust. Totally. And then we realized, oh shit, we need that too. Yeah. Yeah. And this is around that time. This when, is when exactly it was that the, time. The peak of where like- All those chain restaurants, all, all that fat, all that casual dining, all those restaurants were just, you know, yeah, it was all about just money. And exactly why I wanted to focus this podcast on independence when I first got started, but I started to realize, okay, we can learn a lot from these big corporations too. So Todd Graves is the founder of Raising Cane's. Uh, friend, mentor, even though he's six months younger than me, I had a hard time with that. Uh, <laughs> um, Anybody could be a mentor, a younger person. Yeah, it's mentor. true. Um, yeah. This I, is Tom I, you're talking about? Uh, no, so this is Todd Graves. Todd. Todd is the founder, owner, creator of Raising Canes. He started it, you know, out of, you know, out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I had met him at an event, much like we're at here, a restaurant event. We're similar age. Um, you know, taking different paths. I was more of the corporate side of things. He was the entrepreneur, kind of just created it and did it. And uh, we struck up a friendship, kept in touch over the, you know, maybe a year or two. And, uh, you know, I was getting just kind of burned out of the, of the corporate side of things and dealing with, uh, you know, creditors and lawyers and this, that, and the other. And I was really missing the true essence of what, you know, I, I think I originally got involved in. And uh, Todd invited me down to Baton Rouge, invited me to stay at his house, you know, picked me up at the airport. And, you know, uh, for those of you who are familiar with Raising Cane, you know, you got Cane the dog. He picked me up in a Suburban at the airport. If you've been to Baton Rouge, like, it's tiny. Yeah, uh, I'd I've never been. It. I'd never been. He's like, oh, I'll just pick you up at the airport. I'm like, okay, where, what? <laughs> um, you know, I'm living in Dallas thinking it's like Dallas, Fort Worth or something. Um you know, we spent the weekend, visited his restaurants. Of the 63 restaurants that he had, I think 51 were in the state of Louisiana, wow. um, you know, based out of Baton Rouge. And, um, you know, his philosophy, and to this day continues, is it's about the, the team and, and the crew is what he calls them, not employees, it's crew. Um, but he had all of these philosophies that were just like the right thing. Do you know where he got these influences? Because this is early in this oh, idea of man. making it about the people and serving the people. I think it's before Danny Myers and Lane uh, Danny Meyer, uh, his book or Setting the Table came out where the, he taught in yeah. hospitality. You know, he he um, is, was, and is, uh, still is, just a very unique guy that, that is an entrepreneur. He wants other, he wants to empower others. Um and he had grown it to a point where, you know, he was like, I need to take this next level. Mm. I need to grow beyond, you know, and their vision, I think, is still. And he told me, as he said, my vision is to have restaurants all over the world. I'm going like, uh, OK, like that's pretty that's pretty grandiose. Right. But th- I love that because I feel like a lot of people who have that vision that, that they want to have restaurants all over the world, they'll get to like four or five locations and then they're like well let's go say if he's in louisiana like let's go to la and let's go to boston and let's go why is the approach of going deep into one geographic so much more powerful than trying to go out and spread out management and oversight from an operation standpoint okay um you know to grow Cohen's, I mean, number one, he's, he is Louisianan. He, he lives there. His family's there. Uh, he's a good old boy, um, you know, and, and it was his hometown. And so 
for Raising Cane specifically, look, I'm not going to speak for them. And, you know, they're 500 units now. They're ginormous. Um, you know, they, at that time, it was about growing in the communities. Um, huge focus of what they were doing was giving back to the communities, uh, creating opportunities, um, just really giving back to the place that he came from. And it was real and genuine. And talking to him, I realized, like, this guy's the real deal. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't just some lip service we stayed up one night uh, around a campfire in his backyard which you know is kind of weird now that i think about it but he had a little fire pit and we chatted until like three or four in the morning about just philosophies i'm just going like dude this guy is like for real what like, were some of the philosophies that really inspired you um he felt that um you know the the business was there to empower others um he felt and i'm assuming still does you know that you know, he he has this duty to give back to the communities. Um, it was uh, it was a real. Is he still in the same spot? Yeah, I want to have an interview with him around that. Uh, you, you should. <laughs> it, uh, he is um, he's amazing, man. He 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 really. Uh, you can tell. You know, a lot of what I learned there uh, rubbed off on me. Um, you know, we went through this list, and of course, you know, being a little more a little more of a strategic, you know paper guy you know we whiteboarded out a strategic plan which had these points for the business in order to take it to the next level and it had everything from you know decide whether you want to be franchise or company because he had both you know like what do you want to do uh lining your your uh, financials um what was the benefit of being both what, what why was that an option that you want to provide <laughs> i call them friends of the founder um he he would um make friends with people and and um, in the industry. And then he'd be like, Hey, you know, do you like this? You know, they would get, this was early, early on. Um, they would be like, wow, this is an amazing brand. You know, we'd love to do it. And he'd be like, yeah, all right, well let's open one and become a franchise. And so, you know, I don't know if there was a benefit to be honest. Um, and that was one of the things like, look, you can't, you know, like pick one, you know, is it going to be a percentage? Um, you know, Tunnerman. Well, I mean, sorry to, no, go ahead, the, go what, ahead. what it goes through my mind when I hear that is that based off of what you've told me about him that what's more important to him is finding the right people and yeah. and and making sure the brand is traveling and if you are the kind of person that wanted to franchise then we'll work, make it work but if you're if you don't want to do that I'm just more interested in getting you involved because you you have my same values yes so it's about scaling with the right people, regardless of the the, the business model, it's about the per, it's about the relationship. Yeah, at that point, um, you know, it had grown organically. Everyone was, uh, you know, from Baton Rouge. Really, yeah. the office was filled with you know friends and family, and you know, it had grown organically. And I think it was through that. I mean, it was a relationship driven, and that's a um, you know that's a tough shift sometimes that you have to make to go. Okay, I mean, one of the points that we outlined that I suggested was or that we agreed upon was you know open the office in a place that's easier to get to that's more central to the entire country i mean you want to have restaurants all over the world you're going to need to have a, a another office location that's one of the reasons why i wanted to move to austin <laughs> well i was on the list it was austin it's a great it spot. was dallas it was orlando you know I, i'm and look i've lived in texas for 20 plus years in dallas um, it's the middle of the country. Yeah, you three can get hours anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you can get anywhere in like two or three hours anywhere in the country. You've got two giant airports there. You can get in and out yeah. of. And so, um, you know, he said, "Look, I, you know, why don't you join and come on board?" And so I did. We opened a, a restaurant support office in Dallas. The company was still based in Louisiana, but we opened an office in in Plano um, and started rolling. We actually took an entire year 
to build an infrastructure before we opened any more restaurants. And we hired people, like you mentioned, um, you know, Paul Tunneman. Paul Tunneman was the president over all of the uh, non-traditional, I think we called them, all the college campuses. And he kind of did all the dirty work. I always laughed because he had to manage the few existing franchises that stayed there. Um, but that was, uh, I remember that being a very big part of our conversation when I interviewed Paul Turnman is the, st- the strategy of going into college towns Huge. and basically wherever there was a college, there was like, yeah. yeah, no, he was great. Um, Paul, super strategic, very, very smart guy. Um, but the company we we filled the company with like tons of those types. Um, Ian Vaughn was our COO. He's gone on and opened up his own concepts and very successful, Brad Sanders was our development guy, and he eventually became the CEO, uh, co-CEO. Um, we've hired just phenomenal people, and there's phenomenal people running running the brand there now. The, the interesting thing with Raising Canes, and you know, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I've been gone for so long, but I mean, it's a privately held company. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar valuation. They have like 500 restaurants. They do whatever you see in the public publications about them. It's understated because they just don't toot their I own didn't horns. Know. I really did not know about Raising Cane's. It was not on my radar until I interviewed Paul Tunerman uh, like four years ago, three yeah. years ago. And, th- and yeah. this brand has been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, which is a testament to what you're saying that like it's not about self-promotion. It's just about doing the right thing and letting the right thing promote yourself. Yeah. And you would never. In fact, when Todd picked me up. And these are real personal stories. When Todd picked me up, we we're driving around and he's driving a, a suburban. He's got his dog. That's the namesake of the company or, you know, Kane is in the, in the seat next to us. And we're driving. He goes, Hey, I just did this TV show, secret millionaire on Fox. And I don't know how I should be, you know, how, how I should leverage it. Should I make a big deal or not? And I'm like, Oh, you're a millionaire. He's like, I own 60 restaurants. What do you think? And I'm like, I would never have thought that he goes good that's the way I want it. And you know, it is, it's one of those brands that people don't, I mean, now I think it's a little more out there, but you know, very strategic growth plans. Everything was well thought through. Um, you know, I I learned so much very quickly there. Um, here's another one. Uh, we're sitting around the table, uh, all the, you know, quote unquote executives and we're sitting around and we're going to open this office in Dallas and we're going to offer to move a lot of people from Louisiana to Dallas, to Plano. Um, and it's every, you know, like there's a whole office that we needed to fill and we're going to put the emphasis of growth in Dallas. So we're sitting around the table and, you know, here I am thinking I'm Mr. Smarty Pants and we're talking about the cost of relocating people. And so Todd says, I'm going to do a, I want every single person in the office you know, whether you're a assistant coordinator or the front desk lady, um, to have a to trip to Dallas to do a, a home tour and to feel it out. And then if they decide, we will pay for their move. And I'm sitting there going like, this is for everybody? And I said that. I said, wow, for everyone, huh? That I mean, that's going to get costly. I mean, that's going to cost more than what some of these folks are making, right? And he said, Clay, what what would you want to be done if it was you being relocated, and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a C-level executive. I'd want to be moved, and I would expect this. And, that. and he goes, what makes you any different from them in their lives? And it was just like an insert foot, you know, here kind of moment where everyone around the table is like, yeah. You know, <laughs> just so like, we're all like, yeah. You're oh, blind of your own privilege sometimes. Wow. Right? You know, like. Yeah, I mean, and that was, that, that's the mentality that, that was pervasive there. And that was 
the kind of thing, but you have to kind of break some of yeah. those norms where it's like, yeah, and, and, and he did that. He's really good at just from these stories of delivering a clear message in a way that can be absorbed powerfully. Yeah. Like distilling a, a feeling, a cause and communicating it. Well, yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm, I've been loving these stories and I think this is a huge <laughs> part of your life, uh, obviously because it helped form you into the man you were to be able to, uh, take over the reins of velvet taco. Uh, any other lessons? I mean, one of the things that I think I, I want to point out about raising canes is that doing one thing really well model yeah. You can't overlook that. No. We don't need to get into that, but it's worth just nodding to real quick. Oh, you have to. Yeah. You have to. I, I almost got fired once because I considered doing salads and, you know, he came into <laughs> town and was, he just, he lost it. So yeah, just being focused on I mean, one thing and just being great like at what it. What are your operational costs with just doing chicken fingers? Uh, very controlled. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a very profitable business, uh, high volume, but yeah, I mean, you live and die by chicken. You live and die by oil. I remember going in there, and it was, um, you know, I think we had a hundred skews at one point. Yeah. You know, I was like, "That's it." Yeah. I mean, it's chicken, it's fries. It was Texas toast. Uh, that's, what, that's what everyone's doing now. One thing really well, and they're doing it in the form. Of, I knew they're going to shut the lights off soon. That's all right. Keep rolling. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed. It's a little quieter uh, now than Soccer it was when we got over. started. <laughs> People are going to the party. Uh, we're going to be. I'm, I'm loving this conversation. This is a party. I'm, it, we're over an hour, and it, it goes by fast. That yeah. doesn't mean I'm loving the conversation. Yeah. So let's start getting into it. I mean, unless we, is there anything we need to mention about the two years you spent with Pee Wee? Yeah, I mean, Payway was great. Payway uh, was um, an opportunity for me to to kind of share, spread my my culinary wings. Uh, I was able to go over to Asia and and learn all about Asian uh, food. It was a great experience. We were in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, Yeah, I I met some great people, great brands, the little sister child uh, brand of P.F. Chang's. So I was able to work with some really good folks there. Uh, And, you know, who knows, I might still be there if uh, Randy DeWitt, the founder of Velvet Taco, didn't call one day out of the blue and said, Hey, I got this little brand called Velvet Taco, which obviously I knew, and I knew Randy. And uh, he said, uh, "You know, we're we're selling it to a private equity group. We need someone to run it. Would you be interested?" And I think I might have uh, kind of giggled at the first because I'm like, "What do you like? Three restaurants? Four restaurants?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Man, I haven't. I mean, like, do you really need someone to run that? You know, like, <laughs> like I I haven't done anything that small ever in my life." Um, and uh, what was the appeal to you? Well, number one, you took the job, so something. <laughs> yeah, number one, uh, it's a magical brand. Uh, Randy Dewitt is a visionary along the same lines uh, that I would say uh, that can create brands. Uh, the founders, there's there's two of them, Randy Dewitt and Jack Gibbons, uh, and then a gentleman by the name of John Frankie did the food for them. Uh, in 2011, came up with a little brand called Velvet Taco in, in Dallas and Knox Henderson. Uh, it had a cult following, uh, line out the door late at, late at night. I waited in that line myself. Um, chef-driven, culinary, uh, innovative tacos, all done fresh right then and there, fast casual format. Uh, so I was familiar with the brand. Um, at that point, they had one in uh, Dallas, one in Fort Worth, one in Houston, and then one in Chicago. What came first, Torchy's Tacos or Velvet Taco? Uh, Torchy's came first. Uh, they were a little bit earlier, not too much earlier, though, and they're based out of Austin, yeah. obviously. So, okay. Yeah, I mean, look, they're they're a very close I'd say competitor, I suppose. Uh, we share 
parking lots in some locations. <laughs> I mean, I just think we do things differently. Yeah. But from a format standpoint and from a, a fast casual taco, you know, standpoint, uh, similar, uh, similar kind of volumes, etc. But, um, you know, our food is a little more innovative and a little more globally inspired than theirs. Theirs is a little bit more... Uh, Americanized taco, and in, in in my humble opinion, obviously I'm a bit biased, but uh, yeah. yeah, around the same time, um, yeah, they called and said, uh, "Hey, you know, come and check it out." I came down for a weekend on my own time, and uh, worked in one of the restaurants uh, on a Saturday. Flew in Friday night, and I opened and closed the restaurant, um, and was just blown away. Meaning, it opened at eleven and closed at four a.m. Uh, so it's a late night component. A big yep. chunk of our business is late night. And I stayed the entire time and was amazed at the vibe, the guests coming in, people bringing and dragging their friends and saying, you got to try this taco. It's amazing. You know, and I'm over at brands, you know, like a payway where I'm doing promotions to get people to come in and I got to come up with the new, you know, why, you know fill in the blank bowl or you know i'm trying to get people to come meanwhile over here at velvet taco people are just falling over themselves to come in and there's just a line all night long i'm going wow this is something um interviewed and talked with them um you know it's a great brand my first job is don't f it up um i always joke but it's not a joke um the you know, there's a few people within our industry that I think has the vision to create concepts from nothing. And, and Randy DeWitt, Jack Gibbons, the front burner group is the group that does it. They've got a, they're well known in Dallas. You know, um, I, I think, you know, you got Sam Fox in Arizona that does phenomenal yeah. things as well. I put them in the same sort of classification. And, and well, that's something, one of the things I learned too, is there's a, a genre of restaurateur whose passion is just developing. Just creating just developing concepts and brands that people love and they're really good at it. And that's their passion. And once they get that, they build something and they get it going they kind of get tired of it because that's the, the running and scaling isn't what lights them up. It's the creation. Yeah. Yeah. So growing and scaling lights me up. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was at raising canes, uh, and I give them the credit and Brad Sanders, the development guy and futures, you know, he was the CEO all the credit in the world that we 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 had a strategy and we when i was there i left about 250 restaurants over the course of those years um but it was all about a system and a process and scaling but being being true to the brand that's what i saw with velvet taco was phenomenal brand um great uh great food great vibe uh great ownership group it really was about scaling and growing and being true to that. Yeah. You said something that intrigued me earlier. So you, you interviewed CEOs. I'm sure that you, in a sense, were interviewing these guys when they're trying to pitch you to take over this company. Absolutely. What did you, so when you interviewed them, what was it that, like you, you did this whole story about your previous um, Todd, that like what he did to, yeah. to light you up. What was lighting you up about these guys? Was it was just the brand that they were able to create, their ability to create brands. Like, yeah, so so with Velvet Taco, um, L. Catterton is the financial sponsor who owns the brand. Uh, I went to New York and interviewed and met with them, uh, and and Randy Randy Dewitt and the front burner folks still have an ownership piece as well. So I had both the founder and a private equity group involved here, and so you know, part of me goes, okay, can can these worlds coexist together? And the group that we have right now 
it's just a great group. Um, you know, it's not your typical private equity guys that just care about, you know, the bottom line and, and whatnot. Uh, these guys are phenomenal. They're in the consumer sector. Um, you know, I went to New York and interviewed with uh, one of the partners, John Housley, and they said, hey, he's pretty casual, so don't dress up. And so I, you know, wore like a blazer and maybe I had jeans on, I think. And this guy comes out, he's got stubble, he's wearing a Vans t-shirt and jeans <laughs> and Vans, you know, shoes and, and a, like a hoodie. And this is like probably one of the most powerful guys within the private equity hospitality space. Like, hey, I'm John Owsley. I'm like, oh, wow, you really are casual. <laughs> um, but, you know, just a very um, approachable group. Um, they, 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 they help, they guide. Um, you know, when I was interviewing and talking to them, it was, um, you know, what's the long-term vision of this brand? And, and it aligned with what I wanted to create. What was um, it about this brand that you knew had legs? Like you knew they had something that was a good investment of your time and energy. Yeah. So Velvet Taco, um, is rich on the culinary side, but still can execute. So it's in a fast casual format. Um, consumers love it. Um, the menu has a broad range of flavors. So our top selling taco, for example, is a tikka marsala chicken taco. Um, so you got the flavors of India. We've got several um, uh, vegetarian items such as uh, hot Nashville tofu, uh, falafel, um, paneer. Um, we've got a, a burger taco with Angus beef. Um, you know, so there's a brisket burger. I mean, I could go on and on about the food. The food is amazing, but it has a wide variety and attracts a lot of different guests, uh, demographic profiles, uh, regionally, et cetera. And so when I looked at it, I was like, okay, this, this has that kind of broad appeal that there's something on there for everyone. There's no veto vote. So, with any restaurant, uh, this is my own personal thoughts, there's, there's the, that veto vote. You know, uh, let's go to Raisin Cane's. I don't eat chicken. Okay, well, then we can't go there. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a steakhouse. I'm vegetarian. Yeah. Or, yeah, they don't have anything. Let's go. You know, my, I always kind of joke with my wife because you know, she always wants to go to some salad place. And I'm like, man, I really want some meat. You know? <laughs> yeah. so, so there's this veto vote. With Velvet Taco, I didn't see a veto vote. There's, there's meat options there's veggie options there's chicken there's poultry there's something for everyone regardless of creed race uh where you came from price range etc so from a brand standpoint i saw the appeal and then what the the original founders and the group their front burner had done is really cultivated an importance around the culture and the people is is kyle Um, noonan a part of front burner or is that is which one kyle noonan does he, is he associated with that I brand? Think so. that yeah, sounds yeah. real familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know that Velvet Taco was originally a front burner concept. I'll be honest. Front burner out of Dallas, not Florida, but yes, yeah. out of Dallas. No, they've got other brands. Uh, uh, Ida Claire, Whiskey Cake, Sixty Vines. The, um, the dog park is the one that intrigues me. The, the membership, uh, what is it called, Mutts? Yeah, I mean the 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 the, the front burner guys are very uh, innovative, and like I said, it's a special skill. Yeah, uh, it's a special skill, and and um, you know, I think that the <laughs> the trap that many restaurateurs fall in is like, I run restaurants, I love restaurants, I'm going to create a restaurant, and. I, it just, it's tough, man. I mean, you know, Dude, I've been businesses. almost scared. I started one of the reasons why I started this podcast was so I could learn <laughs> in the open restaurant. I'm like, shit, do I still want to do this? I've been scared straight. No, uh, the, the, the desire is there, but cash flow and people, man, that's what it's determines. tough, man. Yeah. It is, it is a tricky business. And, um, 
you know, you really got to love it to be in it. Yeah. And so, you know, I saw this as a great brand, a great opportunity to write my own script and, and to, to mirror the reflection of the values that I had cultivated over the years. Um, and it, it's been phenomenal. It's been the highlight of my career yeah. thus far. Been at it now four plus years. We've grown from four restaurants to over 25 restaurants. Um, great partners, great. I've got a great team that, um, you know, that we've built out over time. Ken is my head of ops. He's awesome. Heather does our people stuff. Zach's my finance guy. Cassie does our marketing. Steven uh, is our, our real estate guy. I mean, yeah. As, so, as a CEO, my job is just to create opportunities for them to be successful. So for our listeners, I took a little break to ask the gentleman who was walking by how, how much time we had. And they close up at 6 o'clock. Time now is 5.47. We got 13 minutes. Bro, today. you can't live by the clock. You <laughs> told me that. Come on. <laughs> well, man, I wish I had known we had a, dead, a hard stop. I did not realize. I apologize. <laughs> I don't want to rush the conversation. Go for it. But... Uh, w- if you had to distill your success to like three lessons, just drop those on us as far as your ability to scale Velvet Taco, what you think is, you know, where do you, does your success come from? What are those things? Number one, hard work. Um, I believe that, you know, I'm not that smart. I, I, I believe that. Um, I, I think that anyone can get ahead by just applying themselves and working hard. Uh, I might not be smarter than you, but I'm going to outwork you. Okay. I'm going to spend as much time as necessary. I'm going to figure things out. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can. You're going to stay here until the lights shut off. Yeah, dude. I don't know why you're asking for permission, man. Make them kick you out. Right. Who cares? I might like, just come do on. this. I don't want to rush this. Yeah. Come on, man. Was yeah. that old guy going to kick us out? No, I don't think so. I'll Venmo him. <laughs> um, you know, so one is just hard work. Uh, number two Take opportunities wherever you possibly can. Man, internships. uh, Take a real estate class. Uh, I got halfway through a real estate class because I didn't know anything about real estate. I signed up to get my real estate license and got like 200 hours in. And then I was like, all right, I learned enough. Um, You know, take... Take, uh, go, go find someone that you want to learn something with and just say, Hey man, can I just buy you lunch? Can I ask you about how you did? I mean, just like we're doing here. Uh, look, I, I open myself up and say, if anyone has questions, you know, feel free to reach out. I'll give you my two cents. It's, it might only be worth what you pay, which is nothing, but you know what? Um, all of the mentors along the way have been able to share advice, um, Doug Brooks with Brinker, even after I left, I would call him up and ask for his advice. This guy was the CEO of Brinker International, probably one of the top 20 executives in the restaurant industry. He took time out of his day. I went to his office and he spent an hour and a half with me sitting across a desk talking about my career, work, what job should I look at, where should I do Like, just, Just find ways in which you can apply yourself and push yourself. you know, you get sometimes stuck in, you know, I'm a blank person, you know, I'm a marketer, I'm a, you know, I'm a construction guy, I'm a this, I'm like, you can do anything you want, just, just, you just got to try it and see, and yeah. you might like it. So I asked you when we got started about mistakes uh, before the recording, I think, and you said you made plenty of mistakes. What are some of the mistakes that you could prevent our listeners from making that you made, if you, if you could think of any? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of mistakes uh, along the way. You know, you learn from those. Um, I took roles where I knew that um, 
it was a distressed company, for example. Um, sales were not good, but it was an opportunity that um, I got involved in knowing that it was going to be hard. I think the mistake was is sometimes I didn't realize how hard it would be. Um, you know, um, I think that, uh, you know, you want to challenge yourself to a certain point. Um, but at the same time, make sure you don't get in over your head. Yeah. Um, how do you find that balance? Due diligence, homework, talking to people. Um, when, when was the time you did get over your head? Uh, I was named the CEO of Metro Media Restaurant Group um, by default, really. Um, you know, I was the chief concept officer of all these restaurant brands. I mean, we're talking 700 plus restaurants. Yeah. Uh, I was 35, 36. And, um, you know, they, they, the CEO uh, prior to me got, you know, asked to become a customer and uh, they turned to me and said, Hey, you know, would you like to be the CEO? I, I, I was in over my head. I mean, it was a, a $1.7 billion company with multiple brands. Um, you know, I did the best that I could and I learned a ton, but, um, give me an example of in over your head. Like what did you do that? Look, reflecting back, knowing <laughs> what you know now as a CEO, uh, from a financial standpoint, you know, at the end of the day, real estate, for example, um, you know, I didn't know the importance of real estate holdings within an organization. You know, for those that are their single operators, which I know a lot of your listeners are, you know, once you sign that lease, as as you know, you're locked in. Yeah. And you know, don't ever fall in love with the location. Don't, don't think like I'm going to make this site work. Um, you know, five restaurants failed here before me, but I'm going to make it work. There's a reason why that happens. Um, and I think that was one of the learnings that I had when I got involved. I was like, Hey, I can turn this brand around. I'm, I'm a brand guy. I'm, you know, I'm obviously confident in my abilities, but I, I did not know the real estate holdings. I didn't know the financials behind debt. Uh, you know, I didn't know some of the things that you just, you just don't, you just, they're not as transparent, you yeah. know? I mean, and some so, of those things, are just, it's, it's a lot of information for anybody to consume. And a lot of the ways you learn is by finding out the hard way, yeah. right? by making those mistakes. Yeah. But everything's figure outable from a quote from my friend, uh, Bruce Irving from the smart pizza marketing podcast, mm-hmm. but you just got to get in there and figure it out. And you know, when you do fall, it's just like, okay, lesson learned. I always keep in mind, you know, but that's the perp. That's the point of this podcast is listening to other people's failures or failures and where yeah. they fell and just I love it, that man. perspective. It's great. Um, I'm going to take your advice. I'm not going to try to stop this thing before six. Roll, baby. Roll, baby. Ain't nobody going to stop us. Come on. What are they going to do? We're unstoppable. We're unstoppable. That's right. You're unstoppable. (laughs) See? So let's just talk real quick about where you guys are now and what your eyes to the future are and how you're looking to evolve and stay relevant and continue to grow in a very competitive market, in a a difficult market. That's like seven questions. Yeah. Um, You know, Velvet Taco right now, um, very exciting time for us. Uh, We made a turn during the during covid so i joined we had four restaurants we opened two the first year we opened three the year after that we opened four the year after that going into 2020 we're at 13 restaurants and um wait you're at 13 restaurants you're at what now 26 well so you you opened 13 additional restaurants during 2020 yeah damn yeah, 20, 2020 and 2021. But um, yeah, since then, we we opened one right before COVID started. Yeah. And then, you know, the world came crashing. Um, a lot of sleepless nights. It's a little different when you're the CEO and, uh, 
you know, COVID hits and, and everyone's looking at you to make decisions. Um, it was, it was a learning experience. I mean, look, the, the, the operators today have gone through something that's never been gone through. through the well, industry. you didn't just survive COVID-19. You grew in scale during that time. So what were you doing that allowed you to do that? Yeah, I think um, my, my advice or, you know, what I look back in hindsight and say, you know, how, how did we, you know, pivot or, you know, what did we come out? We had a strategy and a plan mm. already in place. We were testing things. We had already what put in place. What was your strategy and plan before this point? Is it? It was to, I mean, it was to grow. Uh, you know, our, we were growing within the cities where we were. Um, at that point, we're in Dallas, we're in Chicago, we had opened in Austin. And so, you know, we had room to grow in those cities. And then our plan was to expand into, you know, cities next to us and, yeah. and, and other areas. And, um, you know, that kind of got, got a little bit of a pause and I closed five restaurants for a short period of time. I mean, I, I was scared. Yeah. I, I'm not afraid to say, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I was scared. Did you make any pivots or evolution during this time? And has any of that stuck around as oh, part yeah. of the business model? Yeah, tons. Like what? Tons. Um, we were testing new to go packaging. Uh, we rolled that out real quick. Uh, we tested a, or put in place a whole new labor model. Uh, we swapped out our POS system. We what was t- the labor model that you were doing before? Uh, so we traditional restaurant, you know, hourly wages, etc. We we pivoted and put in a, a tip share program where all of our team members we don't call them employees all of our team members. Uh, sharing a tip share now. So what's the unique about your business that allows you to share all the tips? Just because we decided we we're going to do it. <laughs> but I know it's, and it's state by state, so you got to be careful. Yeah, you have to be careful with some of the legalities. But for some um, example, like you can't, it's just tricky. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky. Um, you don't really have front of house. You have we order have ca- takers. And- we have we have counter servers so um, and that- back of the house. But yeah, I mean, they were getting all the tips. I mean, similar to a full service restaurant, the front of the house folks were getting all the tips. Um, we swapped out our POS system. We implemented a tip share program. We put in some guarantees that, hey, everybody's going to make more than they were before, uh, and we rolled it. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, again, our founder, Randy DeWitt, I got to give him credit because he was always pushing me to do it, and I was always, man, I don't know if they're going to go for that, and you know, are people going to understand that? And for fast casual, it's relatively you know, unique. And man, we leaned into it and just rolled it out and just made it happen. But it's helped out our, our model for, for what labor. Do we, what do we need to know about tip sharing models because I know that you can get in trouble with this. Like what, like what things did you do to make sure that you're being within the guidelines? Is this a, yeah. a state thing? Yeah, or? there's a state thing. You got to make sure you clear it with the state, you know, make sure that all of your local regulations and your ordinances within each city allow you to do it. Uh, make sure that you're looking at, you know, employee or team member, you know, eligibility, you know, you've got to have, you know, all the documentation lined up. Exactly. What documentation? Uh, you know, just making sure that you've got, um, um, this is the, 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 the granular <laughs> stuff that's hard to recall. I'm pushing you. Yeah, no, I mean, you've got to make sure that number one, they're all legal workers for yeah, you yeah. Uh, because you're going to get into a, a payroll system or an HRIS yeah. system that now tracks those things. And there's no, you know, under the counter paying uh, of folks or anything like that. So you've got to make sure that everyone is, is legal, legal and documented. And then it's just an education. It's an education around, hey, you were making 12 bucks. Your base salary is now going to be $8, but your tips are going to be $6. And they're going to be $7 on some nights. They're going to be $5 on other nights. And it's going to fluctuate. And you have to educate and get people wrapped around that idea. And for your front of the house folks, 
um, you know, they're giving up some tips potentially. Um, yeah. And, you know, we had counter servers that were making $20 an hour because they were getting all the tips. And then we've got people in the back that were working their asses yeah, off making an 12 bucks yeah. an hour. And it just wasn't fair. No, it's not fair. There's definitely an inequity between front and back house in this industry. Why, why did your POS, why did this system hinge on a POS? Uh, so we had a, a, a legacy uh, POS system that didn't allow tipping as at the terminals um, from a takeout standpoint. You know, we rolled out Olo. I mean, to get granular, we, we went with Olo and Olo Rails. We developed our own mobile app in which you can order, uh, pick up and take out. Suddenly, you know, skyrocketed during COVID. Um, and so we went to Toast. Toast mm-hmm. is our POS provider. Number one recommended POS on the They're show. Great. Please, if you are interested in Toast, email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. They will hook me up if you use my links. <laughs> and you have to use my links. I, I will endorse them. They, they've done a great job. Yeah. They allowed us to do handheld. Um, you know, and, and we tested several. We looked at several different systems. We chose to go with them. They've allowed us to scale as fast as we have been um, and put terminals anywhere that we needed. We put KDS systems in the back uh, along the line to help uh, speed up flow mm-hmm. through. Uh, our ops team, led by Ken Brendamill, who is our head of ops, has done a phenomenal job of increasing taco flow flow through. Is yeah. what we call it, taco throughput. Um, and our ticket times went from 10, 11 minutes down to 6 and 7 minutes. And so we're able to serve more tacos quicker. Um, and so some of those things that we had in place, we had talked about, we were contemplating, we had planned, we just sped it up during COVID, man. We just put the accelerator down. Uh, we put a pause on some of our development plans, but, uh, you know, I, 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 our, our industry is resilient. How are you looking to evolve for the future? And then we're going to go into the speed round. Yeah, so we're evolving into the future by um, going into more suburb-type locations. We're expanding in locations where we are. Uh, we're opening in Nashville, Tennessee. we got a couple of restaurants in Atlanta. Uh, we're growing in Charlotte. What about culturally and operationally? Are looking to, to evolve the way you do business? Yeah, so um, we have uh, evolved with an operator roundtable now where we get feedback on everything that we do. Everything that we do, uh, including our mission and vision, is driven by operators. Mm. Um, We have uh, values such as be relentless. One of our values is kick ass and take names. Mm. Um, That's from our operators. And so what we've done is we've truly embraced being an operator-driven concept. And so... I won't say no decisions, but very few decisions uh, are ever made without vetting and saying, hey, how is this going to uh, you know, affect operations? And not just asking it, but asking them. Yeah. So we'll do little focus groups where we'll bring in managers, counter servers, and we'll say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? What happens to your organization when you bring people in on those decisions? They buy in. Yes. They buy in. Our, our values, so I'm, uh, I've always said, you know, I want people to be able to live our values and know them. And, and instead of having a plaque in every restaurant or something, when they create them, they buy into them. Yeah. They're the ones doing the training at the restaurants for the next manager. So with we've got some transformational growth coming up here. Every one of our GMs needs to have someone that they're preparing to take over a restaurant. Yeah. And they're the ones doing the training. They're the ones living the values. And when I see and hear them talk about um, you know, being relentless, be bold, be curious, some of these things that we've instilled, 
it makes me know that the brand is in good hands and um, people buy into it rather yeah. than it's just, well, oh, it this becomes, is just something. It becomes us and you versus we. Correct. And we is very powerful. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Awesome stuff. I love this conversation. Before we wrap up, I ask all my guests uh, before going to the speed round, uh, I remind my listeners and I let you know that our mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So how have you transformed personally? Who are you today versus the man you were getting into this industry? Oh, man. <sighs> Uh, I have grown uh, many ways from a uh, you know hands-on operator that was just grinding it out and trying to make it through every shift to a, a brand marketer who you know learned all about the brands and the importance of a brand and appealing to a consumer to now uh, hopefully a, a leader within the industry and and within my brand uh, with a more well-rounded approach um, more so than you know a, a one-sided I I love all aspects of our business and um, you know, my, my job is to create leaders and to provide opportunities for others to become just like I came up through operations. You know, I want to create jobs at Velvet Taco where the manager that's at restaurant fill in the blank can someday become the director of it, Uh, you know, and create a company that we have those type of operational um, opportunities for our for our team members. Clay, I've loved this conversation, man. Thank you so much. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. Actually, I don't even think we took our first break. My bad. To so thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. What is one of the most overlooked and important marketing tools out there? It's your menu. And honestly, I cannot blame owners for overlooking their menu. It can be super tedious and boring work, let's be honest. Not to mention it's time consuming between all the other channels of marketing, i.e. social media, direct mail marketing, and mail Managing your operations and customer relations. Who has the time to dink around with their menu? Not many people, right? So that's why I'm super excited to introduce to you Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. From the website to the marketing to the contactless ordering, Pop Menu is the full digital solution for your restaurant. Pop Menu also provides a dynamic mobile-friendly menu that hooks your customers from the start. And this is a really cool tool. Diners have the ability to leave dish reviews, which really helps your menu speak for itself. Beyond these engaging features, Pop Menu provides marketing tools to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. For example, you have the power to send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders or promote new dishes. You can even set up online ordering and delivery direct through Pop Menu. This means less ordering complications and loss commission to third-party apps. We all love that. Frankly speaking, when Pop Menu reached out to me to be a sponsor, I didn't know much about them. We all know my rules that I only promote the tools and services that are recommended on the show. So I had to reach out to my network to get their approval. And I have to tell you, the feedback has been nothing but positive. People really like the menu review feature, the email marketing integration, and the fast and friendly customer support, which cannot be overlooked. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you can lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash unstoppable. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. 
Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Plate IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Plate IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Hard work. What is your biggest weakness? <laughs> hard work. Yeah, I had a feeling. Uh, what's one thing or one question work you too ask hard. or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Desire. One, I, I want people who want. I always ask, why do you want, why do you want this job? 
I love that. And what is one uh, challenge, your biggest challenge currently? Huh. Um, I, you know, probably the standard answer is people mm-hmm. and finding the right people. I would also say purchasing yeah. right now, getting yeah. the getting getting the the food that we need uh, from a distribution standpoint is being challenged. Right now, how are now. you overcoming that? We're working with some great partners. Uh, we've got a company called Consolidated Concepts that is helping us uh, find out uh, ways in which we can distribute on a global level. And then just having the conversations with some of our key providers. Like, look, we're growing at an exponential rate. We need you to be able to deliver these products on time and as contracted. And if you can't, I'm going to have to make some hard decisions and move on. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach the team. Uh, a way to be, a way to act, core value. Be relentless. Um, no matter what. Keep just keep grinding, keep working, keep going, keep keep working hard. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants, but not common throughout the industry. <laughs> Kick ass and take names. <laughs> uh, that is a mantra for us. Uh, we pride ourselves on winning. It's always good to be uh, to be number one. It uh, helps uh, everyone's uh, everyone's outlook. What's one book that's a must read to make a better person or restaurant operator? Oh, Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You Will Go. Uh, it was the last book written by Dr. Seuss. It is not a child's book. Uh, you've got a brain in your head and feet in your shoes, and you, where you go, you will choose. Uh, it. it is a great book. I love it. Uh, first Dr. Seuss recommendation on the show. <laughs> uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Visit the restaurants, work a shift. Uh, if you're in the in the corporate office, go in the restaurants, get behind the register, get uncomfortable, talk to guests, find out what's really going on. What is one service you've hired or outsourced to? And uh, I can give you a little help. You just mentioned consolidated cert. Uh, whatever it was. Consolidated Concepts. And what exactly do you do for you? Yeah, so this is a group uh, that uh, helps us with purchasing. So, you know, it's one of those... Um, uh, kind of subsets that you know it's pretty pretty niche and pretty unique they actually help us uh, work with distribution uh, whether it's Cisco or our cheese providers etc and actually help with both contracts and also making sure as we grow that we're making the right decisions and and kind of that go between it's a purchasing department but we're so small that we don't necessarily have a purchasing is department. there a size of, of restaurant or a group that is ideal for this yeah, I mean, I think once you get past maybe six or seven restaurants, you're going to start wanting to scale and grow. And I've been very um, cautious about just overloading with a whole bunch of people at the, at the office. You know, we try to keep it real lean and mean. And, you know, I, I, I think I said it earlier, you know, I don't make any money sitting in my office. There's mm-hmm. no cash register sitting at my desk. The money is made at the restaurants. All of our investments should be made back into the restaurants. Our office, we work out of a WeWork. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have. I a, saw that. <laughs> I was like, "Is that?" No, it's a WeWork. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I would rather put my money into building more restaurants. Um, and and we'll we'll get an office eventually. I'm yeah. not worried about no, it. No, I love that lean mentality. I love that lean approach, man. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your restaurants that's had a huge influence and impact on your operation? Uh, KDS, uh, kitchen display system. Uh, we've put in the back in collaboration with putting in Toast as a POS system. It allows us to, you know, group orders, move things along faster, put out more tacos quicker. Uh, we were on paper tickets before that. Yep. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. It's Get a ready doozy. for it, man. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Ugh. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom oh that you can gosh. leave behind for the good of humanity <laughs> and your legacy. Of humanity, huh? What were those three pieces? I'm a cheesy bastard, man. I well, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I think number one, 
Uh, family is the most important thing. So I will set that aside and not talk about family. Uh, being a father, being a husband is the most important thing for me. And uh, no success in the workplace can compensate for failure at home. Is that one? That's one. Okay. I'll say that's one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, father, father, husband, uh, family side. Number two, creating a phenomenal company that empowered others mm. uh, to continue that legacy and, and grow and, and do more. Uh, and then making an impact in our communities. You know, I, I love when people come to me and say, I've been to your restaurant at blank and, and that's my Velvet Taco. I love um, it, that one's great. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us to share your story. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I like to find mm. the majority of my guests. Who do you respect and admire? And if you found out there are guests on my show tomorrow, you would be tuning in. Oh, wow. Um, I think uh, Jack Gibbons, who was the original founder or partner in the founder with Velvet Taco, uh, he is still creating concepts and uh, and has that operator mentality. I think he would be a great uh, guest, and I will help get get him on for you. Jack Gibbons, look out. I'm coming after you, and I, I, I'm going to try to get Todd on the show, too, because I was really respi- inspired by that story. Oh, yeah. If you can get um, him, that'd be that, great. Would be, that would be great. Uh, so... Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship, Jack. There is no questioning. You are Jack. I just said Jack because of Jack. Because you're thinking Jack. Yeah. (laughs) Clay, uh, how can we connect if you maybe want to come join your team or we have, I mean. Easy. Yeah. What's what's the best way My direct email is clay.dover at velvetaco.com or you can go onto our, our website and hit the contact us. Uh, I actually get copied on every single customer comment that comes through that line. Yeah, uh, that's something I, I believe that. in. Awesome. And uh, I'm not sure what episode number this is going to be because I am doing a lot of recording during the TRA Marketplace uh, show. So uh, just make sure you're paying attention to the opening. Uh, I'll say the episode number and head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever this episode number is to find a summary of today's discussion as well as any tool, links to tools, services, or books recommended and how to connect with Clay. Clay, there is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. You're an amazing amazing individual. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Stoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Clay Dover, and special thanks to the Texas Restaurant Association for hosting Restaurant Unstoppable and letting us get all these great interviews. And uh, I think I realized there's white noise going on in the background right now. I, I realized it when I was listening to the, the opening thoughts. It's so hot in my apartment right now. There's a fan blasting on me. So you guys are just going to have to to deal (laughs) with that white noise. Uh, Really great episode today, though. I really enjoyed talking to Clay. I really loved pulling back the layers on his come up and his mentorship with uh, the uh, Raising Canes. That was a really great part of today's conversation and just really so much awesome stuff came from today's chat uh we're trying to get clay in the network to do some peer mentoring haven't heard back on on a date yet or if he's going to be able to join us but stay tuned on that other events we do have coming up in the network this week we had uh ellis when stanley join us a, a few weeks back he's gonna be live on the 17th tomorrow uh if you guys enjoyed that episode and you want to connect with ellis be sure to join us live in the network also we're doing part two of our three-part workshop on business planning. We have the retired uh, Cornell University School of Hotel uh, professor who who focused on restaurant design and I think her her class was restaurant planning, strategic planning and design. Uh, 
Stephanie Robson joining us for a second time to follow up. I think this time we're going to be going over pro formas for your business plan. So we already recorded the uh, first workshop. It was on who your audience is for your business plan. Tomorrow, or actually, I should say today, this morning, if you're listening to this episode early, because we're starting at 10 a.m., uh, you can still join us. We're going to be going over pro formas for your business plan. And then next week, we're going over capital budget for your business plan. So lots of really cool stuff happening in the network. Uh, I've been really proud of how this network is evolving. The, the dialogue, uh, the people that are joining, uh, I'm re- like it's fun. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we do Coffee with Eric. And those conversations are getting really great. And we record all those conversations and you get access to them in the network. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Come be a part of Restaurant Stoppable Network. Come be a part of this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And I can't wait to meet you. All right, guys, that's it for today. Until next time, peace out.